off and the clock has started. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. That was Tom from Mountain House, California. Thank you very much, Tom. And my name is Doug Prezak. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. I have a sneaking suspicion this will be a little more than 20 minutes. Please don't hold it against me, okay? And before we get going, I want to follow up on uh, last episode. Apparently, all my pandering failed to pay off, and uh, nobody from Vermont listened to an episode, nor the other six days for that matter. So I I will uh, figure out. Someday, I will get all 50 states. But right now, I'm just going to have to try and leave it alone again. All right. So if you follow this podcast on that whole Instagram machine thingy, you probably figured out that this episode is going to be about UFOs. Now, let me start by saying people believe in UFOs and people poo-poo them. I'm pretty sure there's no middle ground on this whatsoever. It's kind of like the uh, the artificial Christmas tree or the ketchup on a hot dog debate. And the answer is no ketchup on hot dog ever. Just saying. Now, I'm going to remain neutral on the subject. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to try and remain neutral on the subject. I will say that I'm not arrogant enough to think that we're the only life forms out there in the universe. As Carl Sagan once said, and and we're going to get to a different Carl Sagan quote in a few minutes, there are billions and billions of stars out there, and I'll add billions and billions of planets out there. Surely there must be some cosmic form of uh, a McDonald's somewhere. However, I would like to throw this out there, okay? Listen to me on this one. If there is an alien life form that's capable of reaching planet Earth, then they must clearly be from an advanced civilization. And if they're from an advanced civilization, then they must have studied Earth before they got here, wouldn't you? You know, climate, land, animals, and probably our communication. And if they studied our communication, then there's no doubt they looked at some of our television And that means they probably saw an episode of that whole bachelorette nonsense or an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And after they saw that, they uh, probably said, oh, here comes Earth. Yeah, we're going to skip it. And they just did a flyby and moved on to some other galaxy. So I will remain neutral on the existence of UFOs visiting this planet. Do they exist somewhere in the great beyond? Of course they do. But if they have been here and didn't stop to say hello, well... Thanks, Kardashians. All right, let's get going. The definition of an unidentified flying object is really pretty simple. It's any perceived aerial phenomenon that cannot immediately be identified or explained. Now, the term UFO was coined in 1953 by the United States Air Force to serve as sort of a catch-all for all such mysterious sightings. In its initial definition, the United States Air Force stated that, quote, UFO was any airborne object which, by performance, aerodynamic characteristics, or unusual features, does not conform to any presently known aircraft or missile type, or which cannot be positively identified as a familiar object. Didn't I just say that? During the late 1940s and through the 50s, UFOs were often popularly known as flying saucers or flying disks. The term UFO became more widespread during the 50s. Now, the acronym UFO was coined by Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, who headed the Project Blue Book. Now, Project Blue Book was the code name for the study of unidentified flying objects by the United States Air Force from March 1952 until its ending uh, in December of 1969. Ruppelt wrote, 
Quote, obviously, the term flying saucer is misleading when applied to objects of every conceivable shape and performance. For this reason, the military prefers the more general, if less colorful, name unidentified flying objects, or UFO for short. Now, the phrase flying saucer gained widespread attention after an event that occurred in the Northern Hemisphere in the summer of 1947. On June 24th, a civilian pilot named Kenneth Arnold reported seeing nine objects flying in formation near Mount Rainier in the United States. Arnold timed the sighting and estimated the speed of the disk to be over 1,200 miles per hour. At the time, he described the objects flying in a saucer-like fashion, leading to newspaper accounts of flying saucers and flying disks. In popular usage, the term UFO ended up referring to claims of alien spacecraft, and because of the public and media ridicule associated with the topic, some ufologists and investigators prefer to use terms such as unidentified aerial phenomenon or UAPs. Oh, great, something else I need to know now. Critics argue that all UFO evidence is anecdotal and can be explained as some kind of natural phenomenon. Defenders of UFO research counter that knowledge of observed information is limited in the scientific community and further study is needed. All right, now we're getting somewhere. Other studies have established that the majority of UFO observations are misidentified conventional objects or natural phenomenon, most commonly those being aircraft or balloons, including sky lanterns, satellites, and astronomical objects such as meteors, bright stars, and planets. A small percentage are hoaxes. Fewer than 10% of reported sightings remain unexplained after proper investigation and therefore can be classified as unidentified in the strictest sense. So that's actually about one out of 10 sightings. You know, they could be, who knows? Okay, that's the backstory. So now let's get down to the subject matter at hand, and that's ufology. Now, again, let me state, I am not endorsing nor condoning anyone's belief in UFOs. I'm just talking about the study of UFOs here. Don't get all up in my face about it, okay? Not surprisingly, ufology is not generally considered credible in the mainstream science. In the past, there was some debate in the scientific community about whether any scientific investigation into UFO sightings is warranted. The general conclusion was that the phenomenon was not worthy of serious investigation except as a cultural artifact. Yeah, way to be open-minded, science. Okay, let's hear it for Jacques Vallée and ufology. Jacques is a scientist and a prominent UFO researcher. He has pointed to what he believes is the scientific deficiency of most UFO research, including government studies. He complains of the mythology and cultism often associated with the phenomenon, but alleges that several hundred professional scientists continue to study UFOs in private. That's right. <laughs> Behind closed doors, they're really studying UFOs. The modern UFO mystery has three traceable roots. The late 19th century of mystery airships reported in the newspapers of Western United States. The Foo Fighters. I swore I thought that was just a musical group. The Foo Fighters reported by Allied airmen during World War II. And just as a point of reference, because I, I was pretty stupid, I did not realize this. The uh, Allied airmen referred to enemy planes as Foo Fighters. A little bit extra trivia for you. 
All right, where was I? Oh, you know, I distract myself. It's just terrible. Uh, oh, yes, the third traceable route was the Kenneth Arnold flying saucer sighting near Mount Rainier, Washington in 1947. As the public's fascination with UFOs grew, the United States military began to take notice of the phenomenon. The UFO sighting explosion of the early post-war era coincides with the escalation of the Cold War and the Korean War. The U.S. military feared that secret aircraft from the Soviet Union, possibly developed from captured German technology, were behind the sightings. However, by 1952, the official U.S. government interest in UFOs began to fade. The government's official research in UFOs ended with the publication of the Condon Committee Report in 1969. Edward Condon was a government scientist, and he and his committee stated that further study of UFOs could not be justified on the grounds of scientific advancement. It also recommended the termination of the Air Force Special Unit Project Blue Book. UFOlogists sum it up this way. They say scientific UFO research suffers from the fact that the phenomenon under observation do not usually make predictable appearances at a time and place convenient for the researcher. They say the UFO problem is like problems in meteorology. You know, the weather phenomenon is observed. Uh, it occurs episodically. It's not reproducible. And in large part, it's identified by gathering data. They are not experiments that can be replicated at the laboratory. Take that, scientists. On the other hand, skeptics have argued that UFOs are not a scientific problem at all, as there is no tangible physical evidence to study. Many argue that under scrutiny by qualified investigators, I like to see their licenses on this, the vast majority of UFO sightings turn out to have mundane explanations. I may have tipped my hand on this a little bit, sorry. Even astronomer Carl Sagan once chimed in on the UFO sightings saying, quote, the reliable cases are uninteresting and the interesting cases are unreliable. Unfortunately, there are no cases that are both reliable and interesting. Okay, settle, settle people. UFOlogists consider the general attitude of the mainstream academics as arrogant and dismissive or bound to a rigid worldview that disallows any evidence contrary to the previously held notions. There is also the fear of ridicule and a loss of status that's prevented scientists from pursuing a public interest in UFOs. They also believe a lack of funding is a major factor in the institutional disinterest in UFOs. But that doesn't stop UFOlogists from continuing their work. Remember Jacques Vallée? He has devised a UFO classification system where UFO sightings of four different categories are divided into five subcategories. Now, the four categories are close encounter. Yeah, we've seen the movie. The maneuver. The, that's the trajectory of the flight is kind of wonky all over the place. The flyby. That's where the trajectory of the flight is kind of straight. You know, like they saw the Kardashians and the anomaly, which is unusual lights or unexplained entities. The five subcategories can apply to all previous categories sightings. There's the sighting. There's the physical effects, for example, radar sighting, life form or living entity, little green men, the physiological impact, such as death or serious injury, and five, reality transformation. Witnesses experience a transformation of their sense of reality. This often corresponds to the popular characterization of the incident as an abduction. 
So there you go. That's the brief explanation of ufology. There's way more you can find out for yourself. But when we come back, we're going to take a look at a couple of unexplained sightings and a couple that were definitely explained. Don't go away. I love It's rich in chocolate that is such a catchy little tune, isn't it? All right, now it's time to take a look at a few UFO reports. And we're going to start with this one from Brazil. Again, no judgment on my part, but I do, I do reserve the right to laugh if it's appropriate, at least for me. All right, we're going to start with 23-year-old Antonio Boaz. He was a Brazilian farmer who claimed to have been abducted by extraterrestrials in 1957. At the time of his alleged abduction, Boaz was working at night to avoid the hot temperatures of the day. On October 16, 1957, he saw what he described as a red star in the night sky. According to his story, the star approached him growing in size until it became recognizable as a roughly circular or egg-shaped aerial craft with a red light at the front and a rotating top. The craft began to land in the field, extending three legs. Now, at that point, Boaz decided to get away. He said he first attempted to leave the scene in his tractor, but when its lights and engine died, he decided to continue on foot. He said he was seized by a five-foot-tall humanoid, who was wearing gray, oh, <laughs> I tried to make it all the way, a five-foot-tall humanoid who was wearing gray coveralls and a helmet. Three similar beings then joined in subduing Boaz as they dragged him inside their craft. Now, once inside the craft, Boaz said that he was stripped of his clothes and covered from head to toe with a strange gel. After this, he was taken to a room, and shortly after that, Boaz claimed that he was joined by another humanoid. However, this one was female, and he said very attractive and naked. Boaz said he was strongly attracted to the woman, and the two, well, yeah, let's just say they got it on. Now, when it was over with, the female seemed relieved that the task was over, and Boaz himself said he felt angered by the situation because he felt as though he had been more than a good stallion for the, for the, for the humanoids. <laughs> Boaz said he was then given back his clothing and taken on a tour of the ship by the humanoids. I wonder if there was a souvenir shop. Boaz said then he was escorted off the ship and he watched it as it took off glowing brightly. No one has officially been able to refute any of Boaz's claims, so we'll let that one stand. Next up, on April 24th, 1964, in Socorro, New Mexico, Sergeant Lonnie Zamora reported to a possible motor vehicle accident. When Zamora investigated, he said he saw an object that looked like a balloon. Zamora claimed to have briefly observed two people in white coveralls. <laughs> what is with aliens wearing coveralls? observed two people in white coveralls beside the object, who he later described as normal in shape, but possibly they were small adults or large kids. Zamora claimed to hear a roar and see a blue and orange flame under the object, which then rose quickly and moved away. Zamora's claims were investigated by the government and Project Blue Book, as well as civilian ufologists. Although ufology groups consider Zamora incident, quote, one of the most credible extraterrestrial encounters on record, several alternative explanations have been presented. These include 
the testing of lunar landing device by personnel from the White Sands Missile Range nearby, and a prank perpetrated by students from the nearby New Mexico Tech. Regarding the latter explanation, then-president of New Mexico Tech, Sterling Colgate, he said that students from the school were responsible for the hoax and additionally wrote that the object observed by Zamora was, quote, a candle in a balloon, not sophisticated, end quote. Ouch. The next sighting comes from North Bergen, New Jersey. It's called the North Hudson Park Incident and occurred on January 12, 1975. According to George Obarski, he was driving at around 2.45 a.m. when he heard static over his radio and saw a dark, round spacecraft with brightly lit windows hovering over the ground. Ten small, hooded, identically dressed figures, no indication of there in overalls, emerged from the UFO, dug up soil, and collected it in bags before returning to the craft. Obarski returned to the site the next day and found the holes. So I guess aliens like earth dirt. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they needed to plant something. I don't know. Whatever. Our next event is the Gulf Breeze UFO incident. This was a series of claimed UFO sightings in Gulf Breeze, Florida in 1987. Now, beginning in November, the Gulf Breeze Sentinel published a number of photos supplied to them by a local contractor, Ed Walters, that were claimed to show a UFO. UFOlogists such as Bruce Maccabee believed the photographs were genuine. However, others strongly suspected them to be a hoax. The Pensacola News Journal reporter Craig Myers investigated Walter's claims a few years later, criticizing the Sentinel's coverage of the story as uncritical and sensationalistic. Ooh, newspaper smackdown. After Walter's and his family moved in 1990, the new owners of Walter's house discovered a styrofoam model UFO in, in the attic. Oh, come on! Myers was able to duplicate the object in the Walter's photographs almost exactly using the model of the UFO found in the attic. Walter's later claimed that the model had been planted. Damn it, Ed. <laughs> I was just starting to believe. <laughs> and lastly, this incident was registered just this morning. I checked July 22nd here in Los Angeles. The observer, or the person who filed the report, which is, I assume, the person this happened to, said in 2010, why they're posting it just now, anyway, in 2010, they were in their apartment on the eighth floor, relaxing on their bed watching TV. The report said they saw a ball of light outside their large glass window. This light was the size of a volleyball and somewhat atomic looking. It had a bright center of pure light with a sort of swirling cloud of light around it. So that's the setup. And now I'm going to quote directly from the report. I'm not making these things up. However, I may put some dramatic inflection in it, okay? But th these are the words from the report. Quote, I saw this ball of light below my window level moving up towards my apartment window at a speed slower than an average bird. I, I know it sounds odd, but I chose not to look directly at it. The ball of light proceeded to slowly fly up and through my window to the point where it was now inside my apartment, maybe six feet or so from me. At this point, I look directly at it and realize it is not an illusion of the light, that I can focus on it. I remember trying to process this thing inside my living space. 
The orb of light hovered into the corner and then proceeded to move towards me on the bed. I remember feeling absolutely terrified, but stood up to face it. I reached up towards this hovering light ball. It wasn't repelling me per se, physically, but it was making me feel weakened the closer I got to it. I continued to reach towards it. I touched it and I lost consciousness. I came to in my bed just as if I had collapsed from where I had been standing face to face with the orb. I never told anybody about it because I was afraid I was hallucinating and didn't want anyone to know and think I was crazy. But a month or so ago, for some reason, I was sitting up one night and the event popped into my head. I googled it for the first time and was shocked to find other people reporting such similar instances of similarly sized orbs of light that show some kind of intelligence or consciousness. Then I found a woman in a clip on YouTube saying she touched a light and fainted. End quote. Oh, that YouTube, it has all the answers, doesn't it? So there you have it. I'll let you judge if this is legitimate or not. I cast no aspersions either direction. I just like reading with <laughs> dramatic emphasis. Uh, so there you have it. That was just four of the hundreds of unexplained sightings. Oh, if I only had more time for more of these stories, but then that would be more than 20 minutes. And I'm sure a lawsuit would follow for false advertising. But if you want to check out some of them for yourself, there's a link that posts all of the recent sightings from around the world. It's called ufostalker.com. It's all one word. And I'll put a link on my Instagram feed thingy. It's just ufostalker.com. Okay, that wraps up this episode. And what have we learned? Well, we learned that Doug is positive there's life out there, but the Kardashians are keeping them away from us. We learned that people will be people. They'll say they saw things, and then other people will say, no, they didn't. And we learned that if a glowing orb comes into your apartment, don't touch it. You'll pass out. <laughs> Man, I just ran out of time. I would love to have talked about Area 51. Maybe I'll do that next time. Here's the danger in that. You know, I, if I research Area 51, I research how to break into Fort Knox, and I research the moonshine industry. I, I am positive <laughs> I'm on some federal list somewhere. All right, that will bring episode 53 to a close. I apologize. I'm two and a half minutes over time. I'll make it up to you some other time. No, I won't. You know I won't. Uh, as always, thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Now go outside and look at the stars. Maybe they're stars. Maybe they're something else. Who knows? You decide. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.